So welcome everybody to WEMcast. Uh, you're here with me, Owen Walker, and I've got a colleague and friend with me today, uh, Beth Moose. Welcome, Beth. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure, pleasure, absolute pleasure. Beth, just for listeners and or viewers, could you just um, just give us a bit of background on you, just where you come from and what you're uh, up to what you're doing now? Sure. So I'm uh, currently a GP trainee in my final year, so ST3 year, uh, and I've been a qualified as a doctor for about, uh, well, coming up to seven years, um, and sort of done a few different things and taken a bit of time out of training um, spending time abroad and um, doing a bit of expedition medicine, doing a bit of uh, global health, tropical medicine. Uh, and my particular interest I've sort of found over the last sort of four years or so is uh, snake bite. So that's what I um, have been doing a bit more work on and hope to do a bit more in the future as well. Indeed, indeed. Awesome. Excellent. Um, so just, just looking into some of your background, Beth, um, and some of your expedition experience. So I know you spent quite a lot of time in sort of Southeast Asia, um, amongst other places. And um, when when you were there, was it was 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 the majority of case mix around snake bite, or was there was was it quite a vast case mix that you were that you were seeing? Well, I suppose each of the um, trips and things I've done have sort of varied quite quite a lot. Um, so there've been some some trips where I've gone out and supported a group that's come from the UK. And gone out and so you see if it's a variety of um of, of things that you have to deal with based you know on people's pre-existing medical conditions uh with a you know sprinkle of things that you come across on your on your way around um and the, you know in terms of snake bite that's i sort of focus on that when i was in myanmar when i spent seven months there um otherwise it's sort of it's been a, a, a yeah sort of a, a mixture of expedition medicine things and sort of common things that you might expect to see on expedition Indeed, indeed, indeed. And so your experience on expedition um, as, a, a, as sort of being a generalist, you, would you gen generally find you'd, you'd have to put your hand to a lot of different sort of both medical and non-medical non uh, facets of, of the expedition um, of sorts, be a generalist um, in, yeah. in, in essence? Yeah, I think um, having that sort of background and training in general practice actually stands you in very good stead. Um, and you know that I think and and uh, experience in being in the emergency department are really important things to have because you yes you just sort of get hit with um anything and, and everything as I'm sure you're aware and you know right from uh, psych psychological issues to um GI problems whatever it is there's a real ha you know mixture across the spread you know sexual health um and I think both working in general practice and in the emergency department, you have, um, I suppose you feel a bit more comfortable in dealing with that uncertainty and, you know, what do I need to do now? What can I, what can I sort of leave till later? And yeah, sort mm. of approach, I suppose. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I see you also spent some time in Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa. So you've, you've also spent time in, um, Malawi, I believe. Um, Malawi is coming up hopefully in September. So this is yes. So we'll we'll see. That's uh, very much the hope, but uh, obviously uncertain times at the moment. So um, I am preparing as if I am I am going, and but we'll have we'll have to see. Yeah. So this is in the midst of the current climate and the current pandemic. Um, so so what do you find yourself doing now on a day to day uh, level, Beth? What's your sort of day to day look like at the moment? Yeah. Well, general practices has completely changed, um, and I'm I'm sure everyone would would say the same. So our, our sort of workload has actually dramatically dropped 
um, people are just not getting in touch with us. And I think it might be for a variety of different reasons. People, I think, potentially are worried about, you know, coming into contact with healthcare professionals at, uh, and mixing with other people, understandably, at this uh, concerning time. I think some people think that they can't go and see their GP because they think that their practices are shut and are not able to see people. Um, but we're doing a lot of work uh, over the telephone now and using a lot more technology where we can. So it's been a, a steep learning curve, but it's, um, it's one I think that we'll be able to learn a lot from um, and use again in the future. So we're you know, trying to do things like we are now. So using uh, video uh, links, um, photographs, we've got this uh, e-consult system that we were using in the past anyway, which is actually really helpful where you can just go through a, a list of questions, fill things in, attach photos, um, and it's working reasonably well, I think. But uh, we are still seeing people, of course, if we need to. But with the with the precautions um, that have obviously been advised. But as I uh, as I mentioned before, we have just uh, started to set up these community uh, sort of COVID clinics, which have started. Well, our one has started on Monday, so we're seeing you know a trickle a trickle of patients coming through. Um, but it's been useful to have a bit of time to sort of set that up. Uh, work through some teething problems, practice some sort of scenarios and uh, uh, and prepare. Indeed, indeed. It sounds, um, you, you're right, the evolution of um, of actual general practice sounds like, it, in the current climate, sounds um, like it's very much shifted, shifted pace, as it has in the pre-hospital climate, actually, um, having Thank just you. done three day shifts and three night shifts. Um, we're, we're now seeing fundamentally a lot more cardiac arrests um and a lot i think a lot of the younger people younger paramedics are, are exposed to a lot a lot more cardiac arrests the average paramedic sees a cardiac arrest once every six months to a year and they're now seeing one a shift really so there is an aggregation of of, of critical care within the general population of of clinicians actually and i think that's yeah. that's definitely a shift for us so i think we're seeing across domains quite a shift in in, in case mix um actually uh, which is which is which is interesting i was just going to say in, in your opinion then having seen more of these arrests do you think it's people presenting late and, and not, not I, going so to I, interestingly i do actually um in, uh, very interesting question actually beth a couple of um answers to that question is one is that um relatives aren't allowed to hospital so um what, what we've generally found a couple of times actually is that is that patients are a lot less, a lot more reluctant to go into hospital without their relative support. Um, and yeah. but what we're actually seeing is a representation, more acutely so, if not indeed almost in in cardiac arrest. Well, some cases whereby mm. they probably should have gone in the first time, um, irrespective of, of 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 a relative coming in with them. Um, so that's yeah. that that seems to interweave and play into play quite a lot and then um more so as well with just the outplay of the actual disease process so that so so the the almost the pathology itself seems to in the second week of 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 yeah. of uh, of the fruition of their pathology seems to, seems to get worse. So between day seven and day ten uh, is the real yep. turning point as to whether pe people improve or or, de or deteriorate. And and if they do deteriorate, what we're generally finding is that's that's quite quite a quick process. Um, yeah. So we either catch them or or don't. But um, but 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 we're seeing a lot more critical care patients um, as a general population of, of paramedics, which is which is quite worrying yeah. actually. It is. It's sort of adapting, isn't it, to that sort of what is quite an unknown disease, uh, really, with a 
very limited information. As you mm. say, you know, all these people who on the phone sound okay, they don't sound too short of breath, you stick a SATS probe on and actually they're really sick and it's uh, you're sort of having to adapt your, uh, yeah, what you would have normally done, I think, and changing yeah. that. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what you what, what your experience is because um, what I am seeing is um, that, that some of the some of the um, common characteristics are that the uh, the chronic so chronic respiratory pathologies such as asthma, um, actually diabetes, interestingly enough, but asthma, COPD, and and these kind of chronic respiratory pathologies seem to um, be very much exacerbated by coronavirus and I, I definitely do see a correlation are you seeing that in general practice as well um I honestly haven't really at the moment I think we haven't seen enough cases as I said I've last week I saw two patients face to face the rest of it was was telephone so we're just not at the moment seeing many patients at all uh, and I think as we do more work in the COVID clinic um, and as there are more cases, then, you know, maybe I'll be able to come back to you with, a, with another answer. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. So let's, Beth, let's just pivot slightly and, and look at a couple of things that you've, um, you've not only done but taken interest in so you mentioned snake bite before and just before we recorded this we were talking about some of the attributes of 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 public health and public health messages that we advocate both in a pandemic and when me and you when i've been in places like costa rica or southeast asia on expedition um and and same for you that you advocate these public health messages to 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 stop the prevalence of, of snake bite um how much do you think that correlates and kind of is bears relevance in this current climate at the moment? Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an interesting question, isn't it? And I think, you know, you mentioned public health and, and for me, it, whether it's snake bite or just preparing to go on an expedition or preparing for anything, it, it's, it's that word, it's the preparing part. And I think we are sort of slightly limited in this, um, what's going on at the moment things are moving so quickly things are changing every day um new guidelines and things but i think it's all about the preparation and the planning as you say the public health measures are key you know the things we're being told all the time don't go out stay at home they're so important and, and it's just as as we all know the prevention is so much better than cure and trying to sort out the mess down the end uh, later down the line mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so just looking at, just doing a bit of a deep dive into, into, into snake bites a little bit. Um, cause it fascinates me actually as a clinician, I've only dealt with two snake bites in my time, but very much have to interact on a, on a, on a yearly basis whenever I go into this environment to teach and or, or and or lead expeditions. Um, so from a, from a, from a prevalence point of view, um, are we st- are we still seeing the pinch points to be, I, I guess, Southeast Asia and or Central America across across that region? I know, I know the majority of your experience is Southeast Asia. Is that is that is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, I'd say Africa is to come, but uh, certainly Sub-Saharan Africa is a is a lot of snake bite there. Southeast Asia, absolutely. Um, looking towards the Americas, Central America, you're right in saying is is where the incidence is highest. I think Panama as far as I recall, is, uh, is uh, the highest instance country uh, over there. Um, but yes, it's still a problem for, for many places. And one of the parts of the problem is just not having that data to say, you know, what is the current state of play? You know, for a lot of places, it's a best guess. We're using hospital data um, and we were missing all of the people who, um, you know, might experience snake bite and for whatever reason, either they don't seek um, medical help or, or they never make it. Mm. 
yeah absolutely absolutely and and one thing i've realized as well is this the prevalence of still some sometimes you know um heavily reliant on agri- agricultural um um processes and or uh, and, and or um just uh, heavily agricultural societies actually that, that are still uh, embedded within 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 that environment and rely on that for as a, as a matter of produce and or income um which is where fundamentally snakes live have their habitat and um and are are, are living so i guess i guess the prevalence is, is around the exposure um and, yeah. and this being this being so um just so just pivoting slightly and looking at so interest they're, they're interesting um they're they're sort of interesting um species really because they're highly adapted um in in their environments um so looking at sort of the nocturnal rather than the, the diurnal aspect of of snakes some snakes obviously do operate in the daytime but 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 mm-hmm. looking at you know the stereoscopic eyes the the slits rather than the the, the some, some most of the slits rather than this the this the spherical pupils necessarily but also the way that they sense vibration through the through the mandible and through 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 their bones their 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 heat seeking uh, or, or indeed they, they 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 thermal image so they they see heat uh, as a, as an image that the fact that they can smell through their tongue and that they are finely attuned to both movement and or and or heat um i, I think one thing's i my revelations and it'd be interesting to get your thoughts is that they are a finely attuned um evolutionary species of sorts or indeed or, or, or indeed um type of creature and and I, I think also just trying to pick them out from the environment very much represents that point that they're so well, you know, the, 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 the way that they, uh, their, their, their color, their skin patterns, uh, almost, you can almost be walking on a path and, and it can be right next to your leg and, and you, and you, and you don't, you can't pick it, you can't differentiate it from the, from the environment. Is that your experience as well? Um, so I haven't seen, unfortunately, because I would have loved to seen lots of snakes in the wild because you just, you miss them. You just see a little, and something's, something's just disappeared, a little rustle and you see a, like a, you know, tail or something. Um, but yes, it's certainly, they, I, I totally agree. They're fascinating animals. Uh, and, and the more, more I learn, the more sort of interesting I, I find it. And, uh, yes, the, the, they can, uh, vary sort of hugely, even between, you know, one snake over the course of its own lifetime, its venom can vary. Uh, the venom sort of composition can vary between individuals of the same species and you might have the same species that for example in Myanmar might differ to the one seen uh, in another country um, and, in, and, and even in geographical geographical location in the country as well so for example in Myanmar where I've been recently um, they noticed that down in the delta area they've got um, they just see a lot more severe envenomings mm. I'm not quite sure why that is um, but it's something about those group of snakes that have sort of changed and evolved in a, in a certain way, perhaps. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. And yeah, they're very difficult to spot, aren't they? Incredibly so. So just looking at the, just the broad brush uh, classification of envenomations, or indeed just the, 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 the venom types, or, or indeed what they do, um, what, what, how would we classify them, so to speak? So it's, it's, I suppose, on a very sort of simple level, and it's, it's not 
uh, obviously that simple in real life, but you've got uh, snakes that gen generally or broadly will affect your blood clotting. So you'll um, get a consumption coagulopathy, use up your clotting factors, and then be left with incoagulable blood. And then you might expect to see um, so bleeding, spontaneously bleeding from potentially the bite site or um, various other places, you know, nose, mouth. Um, and then you've got uh, the neurotoxic envenomings where you might expect to see someone sometimes quite rapidly progress um, down to sort of respiratory paralysis and then inevitably cardiac arrest. Um, but then you've got other, it, again, it depends on the species and some particular species, you know, you'll notice quite a, a sort of cytotoxic picture and a lot of necrosis over the bite site. And, and I think it's understanding again, what is that normal, what would you expect to see for that snake and with that venom, which will help you um, if you are the receiving clinician to, to know what's going on because Sometimes when people get bitten, they do bring in a, a dead snake, occasionally alive, but mostly dead. Um, and, and that's really helpful in terms of you know, species identification to get an appropriate antivenom if, of course, there is one. But often you'll, you'll get a patient in and uh, you won't know what uh, species is responsible. Um, so that is really helpful to, to try and sort of target your treatment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, why snake bite? Uh, specifically, I might have already asked this in a roundabout way. Why, why, why did it trigger your your kind of um, enthusiasm or interest? Yeah, I often get asked that question because um, you know, uh, being in, in a general practice, you know, uh, the link between snake bite and general practice is not always obvious. Um, but I, I did the diploma in tropical medicine in Liverpool uh, in 2016. Uh, and we, at the end of it, or coming towards the end, we had a tour of the hepatarium there where they have all the uh, snakes. And I was just uh, just looking at the wall. I happened to notice a poster and it said um, Professor David Worrell. And I was just chatting with the person who was giving the tour. And, uh, and I was about to move to Oxford and it said David Worrell, Oxford. Um, and uh, this chap said, oh, well, you know, David Worrell is actually coming here next week to talk on the snake bite module. You know, perhaps you should meet him if you're, if you're interested. So I you know, went back and Googled him. and. Um, uh, he'd done obviously done a, a lot of work on snake bites and amongst many other things. And he actually lives in Headington in Oxford, which is where I was living at the time. I'm now just around the corner. Um, so we met briefly, we met up in Headington uh, and then things sort of spiraled from there. And as I said before, you know, the more, more I learned, uh, the more interested I became. Awesome. That's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And I think you're right. It, if you're around like-minded people that, that are very passionate about a, a topic, it, it becomes, it can become increasingly more fascinating. I, having de dealt with recipients of snake bites in the past, whereby it's happened in their past and they talk about it and recite it, I find it hugely fascinating. And, and more so just because, um, just because first-hand experience counts for a lot actually as well and um what i realized quite early on is that a lot of these bites are intramuscular bites and similar to akin to giving an intramuscular injection if i was to give intramuscular adrenaline it would i would hope to see the effects of it after about 30 seconds to a minute um and actually talking to some of these people that are bitten by snakes if it is indeed an, env an envenomed bite um, they feel the effects almost instantaneously. One, one of the people we work with in Costa Rica, he uh, he said he could feel the venom travelling up his body to, to the point he had a pounding headache and started to vomit, but very much felt the the effects of the envenomation almost almost 
instantaneously. Yeah. And uh, is interesting, actually, because, you know, we, we, we have all these temporizing measures, you know, bandage, distillate approximately, keep a, ban- keep a, a, a window where the biters maybe draw something around it to see if there's any swelling or indeed. But actually, the symptomatology will be will 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 show itself actually quite quite quickly um well that's not always the case actually um but yes i think a lot of a lot of the time that that could well be and certainly if you've got um you know a neurotoxic picture sometimes you can you know get a quite a rapid deterioration but um there's a there was a well-known herpetologist called joe slowinski um and he was out um and he was i think he was given a, a bag with a with a snake in and he was told by someone that this is a non-venomous species he sort of looked, put his hand in, grabbed it, it bit him. And he looked at it and said, oh, this is a crate, mm. put it back in. And for whatever reason, I, I don't know the, the full details, he, he didn't go and seek help. They, as a team, stayed where they were in what was quite a remote area. Um, and I think it was only sort of many hours later that he then sort of felt a bit of a tingling around the bite site. And then he knew what was going to happen. So he sort of pulled his team together and said, um, you know, this is what is going to happen. I will become less conscious. I won't be able to move. Um, and then at some point I will stop breathing. And when I do, this is how you need to take over breathing for me. Uh, and they called for to get a, a, a helicopter in. Um, but that was actually interestingly the same day as nine 11 happened. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know how big a part that played in, in the, um, sort of medivac, Kazovac scenario or not, but, um, you know, by the time, by the time the uh, help arrived, it was too late, sadly. But right. it just, uh, yeah, I think it just sort of shows that, you know, regardless of where you are, uh, what you think, if you if there's a, if there's a bite from the snake, you need to take the appropriate measures, as you mentioned, and go to seek help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And even the even the dry bites, you know, you you like you were saying, you can't necessarily quality assure they are dry bites at the time. Um, just to yeah. your point, there, it can take it can take minutes and or hours to to take effect, um, which is which is which is a really valid point actually around around always seeking help regardless of whether you think it might be a dry bite and or and or not. Okay, so just pivoting and bringing that back to the to the current climate around um sort of this something we notioned towards earlier beth around sort of this invisible this 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 almost like invisible pathogen or invisible danger which you don't necessarily perceive until it's on it's it's, it's upon you um how and are we currently seeing the death rate rise within the, the coronavirus um cohort and and as this pandemic starts proliferate and, and come to fruition um in, in your mind how how important are the preventative measures um and or uh, public health messages uh, do, you, do you see good adherence to them and do you think people are taking them to heart uh, as important messages i think uh from my experience locally i think people probably are uh, adhering to the rules um Obviously, we've all seen you know, things in the news like Snowden having its busiest day. Um, well, was it Mother's Day that weekend? So I think obviously then, you know, there will always be people, whatever the circumstances, who, who won't, uh, for whatever reasons, take the appropriate advice. But uh, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I think these messages are key. And this is, you know, what the government keeps saying, isn't it? You know, this is the way that we will stop the spread. It's, it's really difficult, but we just need to stay apart from each other, don't we? And, and take sensible precautions. Yeah. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And have you seen the outplay of any mental health issues as a result of, of, sort of social distancing or a lack of social interaction? Mm, I think probably if you asked anyone, they'd, they'd be able to, um, you know, feedback from that they, on an individual level, will have had experienced some sort of anxiety. And I think that would be completely normal, wouldn't it? Um, but certainly those who have a pre-existing um, mental health problem or already have health anxieties, then you can completely understand, can't you, why um, this would be a particularly worrying time? Yeah, for sure. So, and we've seen, yes, we've certainly had a lot of uh, calls and queries about um, coronavirus and, and what that means for people uh, on an individual level and, you know, what changes, how do they get, you know, whatever it is they need. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And so, so, so looking at some of the, some of your past uh, works, Beth, around sort of snake bite. It's it's not only snake bite that you've looked at as well. You've looked at some of um, some of the pathology around HIV transmission. Is that correct around H- HIV? That was um, that was just a sort of a fairly sort of low key um, project that I when I did was in primary care a few years ago, just looking at HIV testing and and what the rates uh, testing rates were within the practice and compared to what what they should be. Yeah. Um, because yeah, within Oxford City Centre, we we actually classify as a high prevalence uh, area. So that what that means for general practice actually is that we should be um, testing everyone uh, on an opt out basis when you when you sign up to register. Um, but it, I think HIV is you know is a fascinating um, disease, uh, and there's a lot of um, sort of it's not that new anymore evidence. But I think a lot of people are still unaware of uh, what we what we call indicator conditions. So. For example, community acquired pneumonia is one of them, where if you if you have community acquired pneumonia, then you should really get a HIV test. And I think for the most part, that is probably not happening. But there are lots of other of these um, conditions which have an association with with HIV. Um, so looking back retrospectively, when they've taken people who've um, had a new diagnosis, looking back, they've been able to say, uh, you know, you presented with condition A, B, C, and actually potentially we could have picked this up earlier. So that's how they sort of come to those um, outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. I know testing has been very much in the news recently with with coronavirus as well. And um, some of my colleagues have have commented around um, the utility of swabbing and the 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 uh, prevalence of sort of um, false negatives actually. So um, swabbing the nasopharynx instead of the oropharynx or hypopharynx can can almost give a false negative. It just depends where the pathogen's actually sitting in the in the body. Um, right. Have you found sort of testing within either general practice or within some of your colleague circles to be an issue and or some of the, some of the sort of swabbing tests? You mean with coronavirus? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so I, we still are unable to to offer people tests. Um, as far as I'm aware, it's only recently happened in Oxford um, area where people are able to get it, healthcare workers through occupational health um, or if you're in a GP practice through through that route. Um, so we're still, even you know, in the in the COVID clinic, not able to test people who we suspect might have it. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully that will change. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So just 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 digging down into your past um, somewhat as well, um, Beth, and just looking at uh, some of the things you've done. So I can see you've not only just been looking at snake bites in the past, but also uh, you've got um, you you've delivered some sort of first aid courses as well within snake bite, but also within uh, within the community uh, in Southeast Asia. 
and or and or Myanmar. Is have you found that those have you had any feedback as to how those have been or or or, or have they been received well in the past? Yeah, so I'll, I'll have to correct you slightly and say that I uh, sort of helped organise but didn't actually deliver myself because although I managed to get some command over the Burmese language, it certainly wasn't adequate enough to be delivering teaching. Um, so what we did was, um, so I'd basically been involved in making some posters about uh, snake bite prevention, first aid, you know, what not to do, because uh, a lot of people are using some inappropriate traditional um, treatments for snake bite as well, which can cause a lot of harm. For example, uh, you know, cutting to try and release the venom and then the patient ends up getting tetanus for example so uh, we, we actually found this school um, that was particularly especially for farmers or young farming students where they were taking people from remote and rural areas doing a, either a three-month or six-month course looking at sort of different farming techniques the idea being they'd take that knowledge then back to their communities and um, so I thought this would be perfect because uh, to do some work on snake bite with because as you've mentioned already these are the people who are going to be at risk of snake bite so um, we actually linked up with the Red Cross, Burmese Red Cross, gave them the posters uh, and all the info. Sort of, um, my colleague who is, is Burmese was able to speak to them about what we were trying to do, um, what the information was, and then they went and delivered that session um, to, the, uh, to that sort of uh, farming group of uh, students. And um, I think they're going to be incorporating that now into their curriculum each time. So hopefully each batch of students that come through will get that information and then be you know someone in their community that knows actually you know this is what we should do we should get help and it's uh, it's it's not quite that simple is it though you know in terms of changing health cultures health beliefs but uh, you know it, i think it's hopefully a start yeah indeed 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 it is indeed it is um so just also looking at some of the things you've done around um healthcare leadership and or indeed courses that you've been on and 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 areas of uh, areas of interest if you were to sort of look at some of the just <clears throat> leadership within your own practice and or healthcare domain um where what would you advocate for staff at the moment going through albeit quite a very difficult time uh, from a leadership and or self-care perspective, is, is there anything you would want people to, to be mindful of in, in, this, in this time? I think that's, um, you know, it's a really important point, isn't it? And, you know, having good leadership is, is critical at a time like this um, and being able to have people who are, you know, but, you know, that focusing on, on care and, and uh, looking after people as well is, is a really important part of that rather than just, you know, the latest guidance and things like that. And it's a really important part of being able to work together well as a team um, and a functional team at that. And it's certainly something that I was thinking about, uh, about all the different things that you know, we've learned from expedition medicine and various different experiences and, and how that would translate and what we can take from that and, um, and put forward. So um, some of the things that I, uh, well, we've tried to do in our practice, um, one of the things I suggested uh, and I did with myself with a colleague as well, uh, is something that I'd done in, in Borneo and it was we sort of sat down um, myself and my now friend uh, Tina um, and we sort of went through a series of questions before we actually went out on our expedition uh, and we didn't know each other too well at the time so that, that was actually quite helpful to do and it was things along the lines of you know if I become unwell how would I like to be treated uh, and in the, in the same in the same vein to translate that through to general practice you know, if I, if I become stressed and anxious, how, how will I behave? How will I feel? And what might make me feel better? Uh, so, you know, I sat down with a colleague and we sort of spoke through that together because I think that's a really useful thing to think about in advance. And it, 
it not only helps someone else to recognize uh you know you know so and so is is not you know maybe not having the best day but it also helps you to think about that as well and have a bit of insight into oh yes you know maybe maybe i am you know not doing as well as i thought i was and actually yes I'd, i remember that i said this might make me feel a bit better so I'll, you know i'll go and have a bath or you know whatever it is or speak to a, a friend something like that um so that that's one thing um that i've done and, and sort of suggested to others mm-hmm. uh, another thing is is a bit of humor as well which i think is important at a time like this yeah. uh so what we've done is we have our you know daily lunchtime meeting where we bring everyone together uh, and I've got a box of um, cheese jokes, which was given to me by another group of colleagues when I left, which probably says a lot about me, doesn't it? Um, so we've got this stack of cheese jokes and, you know, we're passing it around. And at the end of the uh, the meeting, you know, someone reads out a joke, um, which is, you know, very poor humour, but, you know, mildly amusing. And it just helps to sort of lighten the mood, bring a bit of light relief to what is sometimes quite a heavy conversation. Indeed. Absolutely. 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 I think that's that that tempered approach is is absolutely key, actually, of of getting the right balance between being serious enough to take it seriously, but having having a little bit of lighthearted um, banter as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Beth, I'm led to believe you. you, Am I right in thinking you speak four four languages um, or is it five? um, Four languages? Uh so I'm so French, uh, some German, a bit less Spanish, and then you know some Burmese, which are sort of dwindled somewhat. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. And and, and is is that from living in the, all those countries, or is that is that just as you've gone along, you've taken interest in those in those languages? Um, so I did uh, I did French for A level. Yeah. Um, I did German GCSE. Um, my mum is, you know, is, is reasonably good at German, and so we often have the the German radio on back at home. Yeah. So keep a keep a little bit of hand in that, and then uh, spent some time in Panama. So picked up some medical Spanish and um, and you know useful things um, during my time there. Um, and then Burmese, yes, from from living in in Myanmar. Yeah, indeed, 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 fantastic, fantastic. I, I suppose I'll labour that point only because it's actually quite rare to have a you know multilingual clinician these days i i certainly are i'm not multilingual i know a bit of spanish um but certainly not really enough to 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 have a medical consultation but um i think i think that's really when you take it to the next level when you can have you you can orchestrate a medical consultation in 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 another language where where when you can extrapolate bits back yeah it's uh you certainly can get a lot but i think you inevitably you won't get all those sort of subtle communication uh, bits which are, which are so sometimes so important especially for you know less of an issue for maybe a GI problem but all those other sort of you know, mental health um, you know even even in English it's it's uh, a bit of an art isn't it so yeah absolutely but I think certainly you... wherever you are you know if you if you make a sort of an effort to you know people do really appreciate that don't they so um, absolutely absolutely so Beth looking at just um communication because it, i think it you're right it's, it's so fundamental at the moment in this current climate both in in you know interpersonal communication with colleagues but and or also with with patients um I, I when you're doing medical consultations i guess face to face very much so are, are you wearing ppe at that time or are you are you not wearing ppe are you, are you wearing a pf2 mask or a surgical mask at that time yeah, so what we're trying to do is, is most of all the all the chit chat is done on the phone, uh, and and then we're trying to minimise that sort of face to face contact. So any chat is on the phone, and then and we would explain, 
you know, then what, it, what will happen is I will come out to the car park and I'll be, you know, all, all masked and gloved and gowned, so not to be alarmed. Um, and then, yes, you bring people through, uh, do examination, get them back out again, and then you can call them again for any further sort of chit chat, just to try and minimise that, that risk. Yeah. Um, but yes, you, you know, even just having a mask over your face is, um, you know, you, you, you do have a different sort of interaction with people. You can't see people's facial expressions. You know, for some people that's really important. For example, if you, if you rely on lip reading to communicate, if you can't hear. Um, and, you know, what I've done as well is I've made a little, um, another badge, which I, you know, is a, a nice plastic one that I can, you know, wipe down at the end of, you know, between each patient as well. But this has got a picture of my face on it so people can see what I do actually look like just yeah. to make it slightly less, um, I don't know, unpersonal, I suppose. Well, you make a great point, actually, though, Beth. You can't really see each other's faces. Uh, you know, I was on shift last night and the last few nights, and you, it's only when everyone takes the PPE off you think, gosh, actually, now, you know, how important nonverbal communication is, which is completely removed by by um, PPE and, yeah. um, and can feel actually very non-personal in between colleagues let alone patient facing yeah. um which is vital actually it's uh, you know absolutely yeah. vital to, to maintain as much as possible um yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and also how much you know you might rely on on a bit of touch as well yeah indeed. Um, yeah and indeed. then it's rather natural doesn't it to not be able to touch someone bizarre yeah absolutely bizarre absolutely bizarre absolutely bizarre so beth just to come in to land on a few things really um because um it's just fascinating to get your points and perspectives so to the WEM community um listening or or watching this would you, do you have any any sort of fundamental message you'd like to convey to people just around yeah around the current climate and challenges facing them just in the way of of of, of encouragement yeah so i suppose what i would say is you know, we, we've all got different backgrounds and we've all got different experiences. Um, and, you know, that there'll be loads that you will have learned um, through those. So I think, you know, having a bit of time to reflect about, you know, what you've done, what you have learned and what you, what you think you might be able to translate into what's going on at the moment. And I think, you know, we, we all can play a big part in that sort of resilience, teamwork, looking after each other, um, which is so, so important at a time like this. So, you know, you doesn't matter if you've never left the UK, you know, you can still make a big difference um, by looking out for not only yourself, but also the people around you, um, which is huge. So you've got to remember that I think this is different to going abroad, you know, for example, going out to um, manage an Ebola crisis. That's very different because you're, you're going out, you've thought about this, you've spoken to your family and friends with like-minded people, there's a plan, there's kit, etc. Whereas for this, it's very different being on home turf, I think. Um, everyone's got their own personal anxieties and concerns about themselves, their families, the, the, the individual personal things that they have lost, whether that's a holiday or whether that's, you know, something more, more serious. Um, so there's a lot going on. And I think just having a bit of time to downtime for yourself to process all of that um, and think about how you can, I suppose, be the best version of yourself uh, and what can be a quite, what is going to be a difficult time for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely, Beth. Absolutely. So um, so just looking at um, whether um, if people want to get in touch with you at all, um, indeed, regarding anything to do with um, public health and or snake bites um, and or um, your GP experience as an ST3, um, uh, how would they how would they get in touch with you? 
Yeah, so you're very welcome to get in touch. Um, I've got a Twitter account and uh, you know, my, I give, happily give people my email um, if they'd like to get in touch and I don't know whether it's best to go through WEM or whether you want me to say it now, either one is, is fine with me. So yeah, Absolutely, well I think what we can do Beth is link it to the show notes so that people can get in touch with you, especially if they're thinking about going on an expedition in a, in yeah. a tropical climate or, or to Southeast Asia or somewhere where you spend a lot of time um, and taking an interest in, in, in snake bites. Um, it'd be really good if they can get in touch with, with, with you, but we'll put it, we can tag it, tag you in the show notes so that people can um, tweet you. And, like yeah, I'm very happy to, you know, if anyone wants to get in touch, more than happy to, to help and support people. Um, I've certainly done a lot of, you know, asking people uh, before I go off and do things. So I'm more than happy to help anyone. Absolutely. Beth, listen, thanks so much for your time today and your perspectives. No, thanks. Uh, thanks, Owen. And uh, keep being a rock star on the front line. <laughs> thanks, Beth. Thank you.